This is Amy Kreider. And this is Sam Kreider. And this is the behind-the-scenes episode about Poet and Warrior for the Continuous Dream podcast. It's been a little while since we've done an episode. Yeah, we uh, posted Poet and Warrior, I think, in August. So this was kind of our most ambitious production uh, in, in the series. In this episode, we tried to add some sound effects and make it more like a a radio drama performance. If you told someone that you had written a play about William Butler Yeats and they replied, well, that's interesting. Who was he? (laughs) What would you say? He was a very famous Irish poet. He won the Nobel Prize. And he was famous for being one of the first people to bring back the whole idea of Celtic culture as a thing. You know, we think of Celtic music and the idea of Celtic mythology, Celtic art, was something that goes back to Yeats and the group that he was with. And Maud Gunn? Maud Gunn was a woman who was both of English and Irish descent. She was actually English, but was raised in Ireland because her father was stationed there in the military. But she adopted the Irish cause for independence from an early age. Her father was planning to run for parliament on the basis of what they called home rule, which was basically independence for Ireland. But he suddenly died of typhoid when she was only about 16. So she adopted this cause and spent her life working for Irish independence. And she was a bit of a revolutionary. She got involved in conspiracies and a group called the Irish Republican Brotherhood and was very much uh, a woman of action and adventure. She did a lot of public speaking on not only the cause of Irish independence, but prisoner reform, wages for workers, school lunch programs for children. So she was very involved in all kinds of activities, not just Irish independence. What was your your inspiration for this, uh, for this play? Well, this goes back many years. In 1981, I was at Goddard College, which is an alternative college. And instead of having regular classes, we formed interest groups. And then we generated the curriculum for the semester based on these spontaneous interest groups that sprang up during the first week of school. So I was in an interest group called Celtic Studies. And there was a variety of students in the group. You were in the group, uh, as I recall. There were five or six of us. One man was interested in folklore and the cataloging of folklore. And you were interested in mythology and Cahoolin. And I've always been interested actually in Celtic music. I think that was what drew me into the group. We didn't end up studying anything about uh, music in the group. And one young woman was very interested in William Butler Yeats, who I was not familiar with. I had read a couple of his poems in high school, but I didn't know anything about him. So I started to read a biography of Yeats. I'm not sure why, but it was just part of being in this group. 
it was a particularly difficult biography. I won't say which one it was, but it was one that I felt assumed a lot of knowledge on the part of the reader. So I was kind of floundering with this biography. But I came to a point in the story that just inspired a lot of thought. And that was that Yeats had been obsessed with this woman, Maud Gone, all of his adult life. He was deeply in love with her, wanted her to marry him. She always refused. And then in the summer of 1916, a few months after the Easter uprising, which resulted in the execution of her husband, who was one of the rebels in the uprising, Yates met with Maud on Normandy Beach. She was living in France at the time, was reciting to her his new poem, Easter 1916, and I read in this bi biography that it wasn't too long after that that he finally married someone else. And I was struck by that, and I always thought something must have happened that day on the beach when they met, and he asked her one last time to marry him, and she refused. I always felt like, dramatically, that might have been a turning point in their relationship. So I always wanted to write a play with that as the story, the story of how did he finally let her go I wrote a short version of the play back then, I think in the spring of 1982, and it was just two scenes long. It was just a little sketch, and I didn't do much with it, but it, the story stayed in the back of my mind all those years. I came back to it again, deciding, okay, I'm now going to write this play around 2013, and I started reading big biographies of both Yeats and Maud. There's really only one biography of Maud. It's by Nancy Cardoza. There are several big biographies of Yeats, and I read about three of them. There's also the Gone Yeats Letters, which you can buy published uh, letters between them spanning their whole relationship. So I set out to write the play, but I had a lot of difficulties writing it. The play has gone through so many versions, at least 25 drafts, and I tried all kinds of different approaches to the story. For example, a lot of the early drafts started with Yates and Maud first meeting at John O'Leary's house. There are two versions of how they met. He said they met when she came to his house to meet his father. She had a letter of introduction to meet his father. He was living at the time with his father and two sisters, and she came to their house. She says they met at John O'Leary's at a meeting and that he walked her home carrying some books for her. And that's the version I use in the play. But that's right from the start, they're disagreeing about how they even met. And one thing that I was confronted by writing this was the problem of exposition. Writing a historical play, especially when it's takes when it takes place over many years and not just a particular incident in someone's life you you run into how much exposition do you put in how much do you explain about people's backgrounds so that was always an issue this latest version i felt was better in keeping scenes active and in the present even though the play is actually told as a series of flashbacks I feel each scene is present and not exposition, and I don't think it feels like we're just going over the past, that the flashbacks are 
moving forward in the telling of the story. So I, the version that we heard on the podcast, I finished in 2018. And the only thing I changed for the podcast was to add some narration so that we know where we are. But it changed a great deal over the years. And for a little while, I worked on it with Lee Fondakowski, who was the head writer of the Laramie Project. She coached me on some early drafts in 2014. And there were things that she wanted me to keep in that I didn't put in for a long time, like the scene of chasing the fire balloons over the countryside. I thought, well, I can't put that on stage. And so I left that out for a long time. But I finally came back to her advice and put these things back in, especially since it could work for an audio drama and I don't have to worry about how to stage it. Part of the problem with the exposition is you've, you've done all this research, you've found all this interesting, all these interesting facts about these two people and you have to decide what to, what to include and what not to include. Right, that's always the challenge with a historical play is what to include when you've done all this research. Especially when you have primary research where you can quote people quote their letters. And that's something I did that some people might say is problematic, that at one point in the play, I have them quote at length from a letter. Because if you have their words, you want so badly to use them. Particularly if one of the characters is a poet. Right, exactly, exactly. Another thing I meant to say about how it changed over the years was that I didn't know until really late in the process the answer to the question, how was he able to let her go? I racked my brain about that. How did he let her go? Why did he make that decision finally to let go of her? And I had wanted all along for him to want to be her hero in some way. And I wanted him to find a way to feel like, okay, I was her hero. And it was only late in the process that I realized, oh, he lets her go because that's the only way he can be her hero, is to let her go and let her live her life as she chooses to live it. Letting her go was his heroic act. And I didn't come to that conclusion until 2014 or 2015. Sometimes things that seem the most obvious are the last things you think of. So do you feel with that, uh, with that realization, do you, do you feel good about this version of the play? I like this audio version. I think it's pretty successful. I don't consider this my best play in some ways. To some degree, because it's not quite, it doesn't quite do what I wanted to do with these characters. And I think some of it is, I accidentally wrote what the relationship was probably really like. I feel that Yeats comes across as rather weak and demanding, and I didn't really intend for that to be the case. One thing I think the play does not succeed at is showing how Maud really felt about him, because she did care very deeply for him. There was a lot of love between them. She did need him in a lot of ways to give her some peace of mind. But I feel like I did about as well as I could. <laughs> I left out for example, a big thing, which is that after she turned him down for the last time, he actually asked her daughter to marry him. 
And it seems creepy to us now because she was very young. She was 21 at this time. But he had such a desire to take care of these people, to take care of Maud and her daughter. And I felt I finally had to leave that out. It was in one of the early drafts of the play. She was a character in one of the first drafts of the play. But I thought, well, that's really irrelevant to the story I'm trying to tell. In terms of the challenge of the research, I do want to say that one of the big challenges is that his letters to her were mostly destroyed. So we mostly just have her letters to him. During the Irish Civil War around 1922, soldiers invaded Maud's home, took all of her letters and burned them in the street. And that is so tragic that we don't have half their communication before 1922. So that was a big challenge in the research. There were also challenges in terms of her relationship to her husband, Captain John McBride, because there were accusations made during their divorce that she wanted to keep private. So we know that he did some negative things, but what they actually consisted of is a bit murky in the historical record. And some people claim he raped her sister. And this is in the book of letters, the Gon Yates letters. This is in the introduction. But we don't know for sure what exactly happened. And Maud in the divorce proceedings referred to it as a seduction. Her sister was quickly married off to McBride's brother. So it's all sort of murky. And I didn't know how much to accuse him of in the play. I had to be careful. You can't libel the dead, but you don't want to cast aspersions on people when you don't know. I finally found out, in terms of her daughter, because there were also rumors he attacked her daughter, that according to a book of letters her daughter wrote to Yates, he exposed himself to her when she was a child. And that was why she was frightened of him. So it wasn't an attack, but there was this incident. So there's all this rumor and innuendo in the research that was very hard to verify. And that was a big challenge in the research. So we do have some new uh, continuous stream coming up. Yes, we have another episode coming up in January. I'm hoping to post it around New Year's Day. And it's more light comedies, similar to our summer comedies episode last year. It'll star Baird Brucher and Aaron Caswell. What with COVID, we're having them record at home. So I wrote some two-person plays for them to record. And we'll have some more comedy coming up. And besides the podcast, you've had another interesting uh, development in your writing career. Yes, I have some news. I found out the week before Thanksgiving that I'm not only a playwright, I am now a novelist. (laughs) Because a novel I wrote, which I'd been trying to sell to agents for 17 years, just won a contest put on by the University of New Orleans, and my novel Disorder will be published possibly next November. And this is very exciting, and I hope you'll all enjoy my novel. (laughs) If you enjoy my plays, you might enjoy my novel. It's a murder mystery called Disorder, And as I said, it might be out next November. I'm already looking at cover designs. It's very exciting. Thanks for listening in. Uh, If you haven't heard Poet and Warrior, it's available in this podcast feed. Yes, and for other podcast episodes, check out continuousstream.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts. 
Thank you for listening, and have a great new year.